you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Prairie Justice presents the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Well, howdy, and welcome back to Prairie Justice, the Greg Sanders Vigilante Podcast. I'm Ranger Gord, your host. This episode is uh, 3.4 of our ongoing mini-series featuring the Seven Soldiers of Victory in a story from Leading Comics number 3. And this episode features Sir Justin, the Shining Knight. And he's going to take on none other than Genji's Khan. Now, as I say that, I want you to just uh, think back in your trivia a little bit. Those of you who know your DC Comics, just think about a relationship that uh, Sir Justin may have with his historical character. Because he does. I'll leave that for the end of the show. Our art for this story from summer of 1942 in this nine-page story comes from Sir Justin's uh, artistic creator, Craig Flessel. Craig Flessel. First day of the new tongue, folks. And very likely, since uh, there is no credited writer, Craig Flessel is probably writing this story, and it shows. Uh, Craig has a mastery of this character. He understands it. He knows what he's supposed to say. Uh, he can do this bowdlerized Shakespearean accent. And uh, he, he just understands the Shining Knight character very well. So I, I believe my theory about the, uh, the committee and the artists being in on the, uh, the scripting of these stories is starting to prove out, especially in the face of this story. As I've said, Golden Age stories aren't good with uh, keeping up with their credits. They're a little bit better with their artists, but sometimes the writers just fall by the wayside. Uh, you just don't seem to know, and I don't understand why that is. It uh, could be some skullduggery on the part of the comic book's owners in order to mask the ownership. And uh, as we know through history, that uh, there's been a lot of skullduggery in these Golden Age characters ownership and creator rights and such. So to move on to a little bit of information here, Sir Justin and Genji's will be competing for the Element Platinum. So, calling Dr. Magnus, Dr. Will Magnus. And remember, I did joke a little bit about uh, the Metal Men in uh, Chapter 3.3, when, when Green Arrow meets some robots made out of radium. Let's learn a little bit about uh, Dr. Magnus's girlfriend, Platinum. Once again, brought to you by that immortal expert, Wikipedia. Platinum, a chemical element with the symbol PT and atomic number of 78, is a dense, malleable, ductile, highly unreactive, precious, silverish white transition metal. And name originates from the Spanish platina, a diminutive of plata silver. And we sometimes use the word platina these days interchangeably as some shiny thing without really understanding its relationship to platinum. It's a member of the platinum group of elements, how about that, and group 10 in the periodic table of elements. It has six naturally occurring isotopes. It's one of the rarer elements that you will find in the Earth's crust. And geologists... Uh, will observe that you find it along in, in the ground along with nickel and copper in other native deposits and mostly found in South Africa which accounts for 80% of the world's production. So let's just say that we're in Alaska due to shipping possibly. Because of its scarcity in the crust only a few hundred tons are produced annually 
and is one of the world's major precious metal commodities. It's one of the least reactive metals, and that means it's very resistant to rust and corrosion. And even at high temperatures, it is therefore considered a noble metal. Uh, platinum is often found chemically uncombined as natively, native platinum. Occurs naturally in the alluvial sands various rivers. Was used by pre-Columbian uh, South American indigenous to produce artifacts. It's occurred in European writing as early as the 16th century. And uh, that's when Antonio de Alaloa published a report on the new metal of Colombian origin in 1748. Uh, it's used in catalytic converters. Uh, so that's why you sometimes hear of thieves t uh, trying to remove the, the converters from underneath your car. You'll see it in lab equipment, electrical contacts, and electrodes, especially uh, high-voltage stuff. Platinum-resistance thermometers, dentistry equipment, and jewelry. And it's also used the, in the glass industry to uh, make molten glass. Uh, being a heavy metal, it sometimes does lead to health problems upon its exposure to its salts. And, but it hasn't been linked to anything adverse. Pure platinum is less expensive than pure gold. As of this writing in 2021, a troy ounce of platinum will set you back anywhere from $1,055 to $1,320 US. Now let's meet that great platinum thief of leading comics, Chinggis now, popularly, we probably know this man also as Genghis Khan. Historians of the Mongol Empire prefer the spelling Chinggis or Chinggis Khan, which more approximates the name in Mongolian. The English spelling of his name came down from the Italians, uh, where his second G had a bit of a hard, uh, hard H sound and kind of sort of lent the uh, same pronunciation as spaghetti. But because G before E in English is ambiguous, the most that led to the most common pronunciation of Genghis Khan and led to the alternative spelling, Genghis Khan, to try to prevent that. So I try to go with Genghis myself. And that's how you, most uh, historians tend to look at it now. By the way... If you're familiar with a podcast, and if you're not familiar, I'm telling about it now, called Real Dictators from Noisier. Uh, last week, they just started a series on Genghis Khan, and I actually haven't been uh, caught up on the episodes, so I'm not sure how that uh, this English uh, podcast is actually pronouncing that just yet. Anyway, look out for that. It's a, a really good series. Uh, talks about some of the more disturbing people in history and a few dictators who are still amongst us. So I'll try not to trip over my own pronunciation as I carry on here. Uh, Genghis Khan was born circa 1158 oh, to 1162. Uh, we do have his death date uh, a little bit more pinned down, August 18th, 1227. Born as Tamujin. He was the founder and first great Khan. Khan! Emperor of the Mongol Empire, which became the largest continuous empire in history after his death. He came to power by uniting many of the nomadic tribes of Northeast Asia, what is now on the China-Russia border, and after being proclaimed the universal ruler of the Mongols. He launched the invasions of what we know of as the Mongol invasions, which ultimately conquered much of Eurasia and raided as far as western Poland and as far south as Gaza, which is we now know as the Israel-Palestine border. His major campaigns included those of the Karakatai, the Kawizrimea, the western Xia and Jin dynasties, and his generals conducted further raids into medieval uh, Georgia, that's the, uh, the former Soviet Republic, Georgia, and the Kievan Rus, and into Volga, Bulgaria. That's where some of my ancestors came from. Uh-oh, better check for some Khan. 
So Genghis Khan and his empire had a fearsome reputation in local histories. Many chroniclers uh, described his conquests as wholesale destruction on an unprecedented scale and caused a great demographic change and drastic declines of population as a result of many of his mass exterminations and famine. Conservative estimates amount to about 4 million civilians. Other figures go as high as 40 to 60 million that died as a consequence of Genghis Khan's military campaigns. Some, though, uh, viewed him as a liberator, and he was portrayed positively by early Renaissance sources out of respect for his spread of culture, technology, and ideas under the Mongol Empire. So by the end of the Great Khan's life, that empire occupied a substantial portion of Central Asia and China. And uh, depending on what you consider great, due to those exceptional military successes, Genghis Khan is often considered to be one of the greatest conquerors of all time. Beyond his military accomplishments, Khan also advanced the Mongol Empire in other ways, decreed the adoption of the Uyghur of the Uyghur script as the Mongol Empire's writing system and also practiced meritocracy, encouraged religious tolerance in the empire, unified the nomadic tribes of Northeast Asia. Present-day Mongolians regard him as the founding father of the nation of Mongolia and is also credited with bringing the Silk Road under a cohesive political environment. And that brought communication and trade between Northeast Asia, Muslim Asia, and Christian Europe and expanded all those cultural horizons of the uh, of what we now know as the Far East and Near East. Interesting thing about the silk that I recall from watching a documentary one time, Khan's uh, raiders wore silk shirts. One of the reasons beyond, behind that is an enemy arrow was less likely to penetrate a silk shirt than it was a, any other fabric due to the fact that silk would wind itself as the, uh, as the arrowhead spun into it. And uh, so that's a, sort of an early uh, iteration of the bulletproof vest. So you're more less likely to be killed by an arrow or a spinning spear if you're wearing a silk shirt than if you're wearing anything else. So Dr. Doomy has chosen his uh, platinum pawn well. So let's join Sir Justin as he meets Genghis Khan on the shores of the last frontier of Alaska. Way up the Shining Knight, Chapter 3, by Craig Flessel. Out of the perilous past comes two mighty warriors to meet in furious combat on the frozen coast of Alaska, with the world of the future at stake. Against the wiles and weapons of the terrible Genji's Khan, 13th century conqueror of Asia, the magic sword and winged steed of the shining knight, once a member of King Arthur's immortal fellowship of the round table, carry on the age-old conflict between righteousness and evil, and Dr. Doomy's diabolic design for dictatorship encounters new difficulties, not the least of which concerns a mighty monster of the deep. The man who told a fish story. Closing time at the Municipal Museum. And a young man cautiously lifts a suit of priceless golden armor from a display case. Justin, what are you doing? I was about to request leave for my duties, Dr. Mosby. The Shining Knight has accepted a new challenge. Granted, my boy, and good luck to you. The Sword of Sharpness and the Lance of Lightning. 
tempered by the magic of mighty Merlin, flesh in the young man's hands. Forsooth, the feel of these good weapons makes my blood race as in the old days at the court of Arthur. Lastly, he straps saddle and trappings upon his magnificent winged charger. Patience, winged victory. Soon we shall know the thrill of combat again. And Sir Justin of the ancient round table knights gallops into the clouds. Yon falcons have never seen a bird as large as thee, Victory. Frozen for 1,500 years in a glacier, he lives today to strike with the weapons of chivalry against injustice. How many, uh, I mean, say, you're the Shining Knight. Right. Friend, I seek a land called Alaska. Northward and westward, he said. Fly past, Victory. Look, Jamie, it's the Shining Knight. Golly, what I wouldn't like to be like him. Northward and westward, thousands of miles from the beginning of our story, the little town of Jackpot nestles beside the icy sea. On the porch of Jackpot's general store, loafers enjoy an old joke at the expense of a luckless fisherman. <laughs> Here's Bill Bakes, back from fishing without a thing to show for it. Just the same, I nearly caught one that big. Own up now, Bates. You never caught nothing bigger than a minnow in your life, did you? Smarting under the lash of ridicule, Bates makes a rash offer. Steve Sturgis, I'll bet you a hundred dollars I'll catch the biggest fish you ever saw before this time tomorrow. You heard him, fellas. I'm gonna take him up on that. Aha, a wager. Biggest fish I ever saw was a whale. <laughs> a whale? That ain't fair. You're cheating me. No, he ain't, Bates. A fish is a fish and a bet is a bet. And you're a chump. <laughs> Forgive my intrusion. The others are right, fisherman. You have made a wager, and you must stand by it. Huh? Now, who are you? Wherever he is, he's on my side, so he's okay. Why didn't I keep my big mouth shut? They know I can't catch any whale. Strictly speaking, a whale is a mammal, not a fish. But since they choose to regard it as a fish, let us see if one does not come along. You mean you think maybe I can win the bet? I have often seen fortune frown on tricksters like those men. And it may be I can help you. First, I should like to know the whereabout of a certain shipment of platinum. I have information that thieves are after it. Platinum? Well, let's see. There's close to a million dollars worth down on the dock waiting for a ship to Seattle. At that very moment, a rakish small boat bears fierce Genji's Khan and his Tartar warriors towards one of the docks. If the gods resist, shoot to kill. Suits me. I got my violin all tuned. Guards on the dock eye the approaching craft with suspicion. Look, Joe, here come some fishermen dressed in funny clothes. Speaking of fishing, I'd rather be doing that right now than guarding all of this platinum. You can't tie up to the dock, stranger. We've got valuables under guard here. I'm gonna take over the job of guarding them, jump. Uh, hold up. Hold up nothing. It's a massacre. This won't hurt for long. Are only two of them? This is pretty soft. With a halt, Shepard. Don't go get an idea, Stoney. We're being paid plenty by Dr. Doomy. We shall reach the icebergs before anyone can pursue. And then we shall be safe. It's a blood pipe cinch. 
All we gotta do is lay around on the yet till it's dark and then head for home. The blasting of guns brings Sir Justin racing to the dock. Too late to prevent the robbery. Bandits! Pirates! There they go! Worse than that, they are murderers. But their sins shall not go unpunished. Get thy boat, in case we must save them from the sea. Victory and I shall overtake them. Yes, sir. In such a mountain of ice was I preserved for fifteen centuries that I might vanquish men of evil. But as the winged steed circles the iceberg, can it be that fate has taken justice into her own hands and sunk them? Let us alight on this frozen mass victory. Mayhap they have hidden in some crevasse and lie in ambush for me. Suddenly, gadzooks, never have I seen so huge a beast since the dragons of ancient times. Losing his footing on the slippery mountain, down plunges the shining knight, deep into a narrow crevasse. Now indeed, fortune frowns on me. But the sword of sharpness, flashing in Justin's hands, pierces the frozen wall beside him. And what is this? A vast cavern within the mountain? Methinks I smell a rat. The weird greenish light within the cavern illuminates a strange scene. I got to hang it to you, Genghis. This is the slickest hideaway I ever seen. I do not understand your words, fool. But if you are praising me, I accept it as my just due. A rude surprise jolts the criminals. However, as a golden figure leaps from a ledge overhead, Yield, violence, or by my magic steel thou shalt suffer a drubbing. Hey, it's the Shining Knight. An enemy. Slay him! Desist, rogue. You butt waste bullets on this mail of mine. He ain't human. He don't even feel them slugs. Bullets hold no terrors for me, but I detest needless noise. Oh, he's tossing bombs. The golden helmet resists a stroke that would have halved another knight's cask. Perish, unbeliever. Now, now. But my sword, shut it. So do all weapons of the unrighteous fail in the final test. No man should own a sword who does not wield it in a worthy cause. Valorous attack has nearly won a victory for the round table hero. But overwhelming superiority of numbers turns the tide. Ho! The wretches come upon me from behind. How'd you like a nice cold bath, jump? That ten bathing suit'll make it tough for the fish to get their teeth into ya. The next instant. So long, pal. See in the obituary columns. He will sink like a stone. And by the Buddha, it is a pity. Thrusting a wedge-shaped door of ice ahead of her, the pirate craft heads for the open sea. Keep the iceberg between us and the town until we are out of sight of land. Then head south. I get it, yep. Big shot. Deep in the icy water, Sir Justin's sword comes to his rescue. My mail would sink me to the bottom, but my good sword will help me reach the surface like this. Meanwhile, Bill Bates, the troubled fisherman, nears the iceberg in his ancient boat. Well, glory be. There's the whale I need to win my bet. And there's the pirates getting away. I can't catch either of them in this boat. Flashing forward from the sky, a golden meteor dazzles the luckless boatman. Would you look at that? A knight on a flying horse. Now I know I'm crazy. Them things ain't possible. Like a deadly harpoon, the needle point of the lance drives into the monster of the deep. And now, 
I leave you victory, lest bullets from yon robber vessel harm you. Goaded by the probing weapon, the whale turns the sea to foam as it streaks forward, attempting to escape. By St. George and the Dragon, this is rare sport. What can you do with a guy that sheds bullets and can't drown and rides whales? As the monster draws near the yacht, Justin wrenches on the lance and... Aha! It is as, as I hoped it would be. Victory! I have need of thee now! We're sunk, and that ain't slang. Now, noble steed, we spear smaller fish, but more valuable ones. What? Would you save me, knight? I got my whale. I mean, we did. It's in its death struggles. Don't let us die, buddy. Bring your boat closer. I never could stand cold water. First, toss down the radium. Then I'll think about taking you aboard. That's the last box, and we ain't got no guns. Now can we come aboard? Okay. But see that you behave yourselves till I get you to the sheriff. So it is that an amazing aquacade makes its way back to the seaport of Jackpot. I trust the jail in yon town is a stout one. Man alive will Steve Sturgis's eyes bug out like to toadstools. Why couldn't we have picked Florida to get benched in? The fisherman's triumph is witnessed by scores. This is the one that didn't get away, Sturgis. Where's that hundred dollars? It ain't true. Something's wrong with my eyes. You can't get out of it that way. Bates has caught his whale, and you've lost fair and square. At the docks, Genji's and company are turned over to the Sheriff of Jackpot. These are the killers, huh? Shining night, us folks up here don't quite know how to thank you. My own pleasure in overwhelming rogues is all the thanks I desire. Fools. Do you think you can put Genji's Khan in a dragon? With this rod, my men and I shall return to our own time, and the conquerors are waiting us there. Back to the dust of ancient graves, to be remembered only as legends. And the miracle of Dr. Doomy's victory over time and space is repeated. Where'd they go? I'm going to put these fellers in cold storage before they evaporate, too. Doubtless the platinum refinery will pay a reward for their capture. It should go to my fisherman friend. Wow. And an hour ago, I thought this was the unluckiest day of my life. This time, the radio brings Dr. Dewey news of the collapse of his expedition. And the Shining Knight captured two gunmen while three men wearing ancient costumes vanished into seemingly thin air. What? Has Genghis failed me too? For the first time, fear enters into his treacherous mind. The Shining Knight! Why then, the seven soldiers of victory are against me. What a terrible misfortune. If they discover me before I am ready for the future, I must escape into the past. I shall choose a hiding place in history. The Shining Knight rides to victory every month in Adventure Comics. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have, about a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity Crisis. Lone Wolf and Cub. Hergé's Tintin. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. It's always the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultraman... Of how they spoke at length 
when I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people, Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. And now here's my thoughts and notes on The Shining Knight, The Man Who Told the Fish Tale. And now a non-apology. There's just no way you're going to give me a Golden Age story set in Alaska in a fishing village and me not play Johnny Horton's North to Alaska. Uh, This was one of my dad's favorite songs. He played this song incessantly. I still have it on both a 78 and I believe a 33 and a third RPM albums. um, Those discs that he played. And he was a, my dad was a man who spent years uh, watching people go up the highway to Alaska and always wanted to throw a line into the water in uh, some of those villages up there. And finally he did do it uh, short, a few years before his death in 1997. So that's for dad, Johnny Horton. And I'll be telling a little story about him and his uh, relationship to Alaska here in a few minutes. So your patience in that indulgence. First of all, before I forget, because I sometimes do those things, I promised you, or I challenged you, to think of a connection between Sir Justin and Genghis Khan beyond this leading comic story. And assumingly, this is the first time that Sir Justin and uh, the great Khan meet each other in combat or anywhere else or is it just think timey-wimey timmy timey timey timey-wimey sorry butchered my doctor who there okay i'll hand it to you go ahead in time go way ahead from this story exactly 30 years to 1972 and Justice League of America 101. That, of course, is part of the three-part story, and the uh, probably the very first uh, large multi-character crisis in DC's or any other comic books' history, and that was uh, the the meeting of the Justice League of America, the Justice Society of America, and the time-tossed Seven Soldiers of Victory. So in one of the chapters in that saga, 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 a team consisting of the Earth-1 Superman, the Wesley Dawes gas-masked-clad uh, Sandman, and Rex Mason Metamorpho, Earth-1 version, meet in Mongol where the Genghis Khan has enslaved a time-tossed, wait for it, Sir Justin, the Shining Knight, and made him his brain-addled bodyguard. So, what inference can we meet between these two uh, meetings? Well, perhaps Len Wein read the original and thought that was a good idea and decided to send Sir Justin back to meet Genghis in his own time. As the JLA-JSA had to recover the Shining Knight from being one of the Mongol raiders and uh, return his memory and himself back to 1972. 
So there's a lot of time elements that work with when you're talking with the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Now an interesting comparison between the 1942 and 1972 portrayals of Genghis Khan. 1972, they had what I would have thought to be a, a little bit more of a uh, period correct Mongolian uh, apparel for Genghis. Uh, Whereas here in 1942, he seems to be dressed up a little bit like you'd expect the Mandarin in Iron Man. As it turns out, I believe that probably both iterations are correct. Um, in the Wikipedia story that I read to you, there was a, uh, a colored sketch from the 14th century, from the Wan era, that comes from Taipei and it was produced by a Mongol painter where he is uh, wearing something very very similar to what we have in this uh, 1942 version of course he is not quite as bedecked uh, with jewelry and the large sword and such and it, it is it's not as colorful of course these are comics and we expect them to be colorful uh, Genghis and his Mongols are carry that copperized tone that you see uh, most Asians are colored with in uh, comics of the era, and let's face it, right up until the 1970s. Our splash page opens with Sir Justin, uh, with Genghis and a couple of his Mongol confederates. Uh, being hoisted by his lance while um, Sir Justin rides a whale. And that brings up something I have to say. We are going to see whales. There will be whales in this story. And none were killed in the creation of this colorized color comic book, although one is shot and is probably slaughtered in the story itself. On the splash page, we also see Winged Victory towing a boat, and we're going to meet one of the men uh, on that boat. Beginning our story, Sir Justin takes a leave of absence from the museum where he works uh, for Dr. Moresby, and Dr. Moresby is more than happy to give him that leave. Now, of course, presumably in our story here, he's taking leave just uh, to go to Alaska to chase Gingis on behalf of the soldiers but as we know uh, in All-Star Squadron and our retroactive continuity he's also going to work for Sir Winston Churchill so this uh, brief panel serves two purposes so Sir Justin takes his own uh, chain mail out of the museum glass case boy I'd love to be able to, to borrow uniforms out of my uh, museum I probably shouldn't I won't fit most of them and he takes off on winged victory across the North American continent to the north by northwest or northwest by north, however you'd like to say it. And at one point he stops to, uh, to a gas station to ask directions to Alaska. I have to tell this story. This is a personal family story. My father used to run a gas station on the Alberta-Montana border right at the uh, customs crossing at a place called Coots, Alberta, Sweetgrass, Montana. Uh, this would have been the late 1940s and this would have been after the military Alaska Highway had been opened to commercial and public traffic. Uh, prior to that it was strictly a military road. And people from all over the United States suddenly wanted to drive to Alaska uh, to, to add the new state, which joined in, uh, I believe, 1959, and the new frontier to their list of uh, cross-country American conquests. And naturally, they would come across the, uh, the border there following Interstate 15, which upon crossing into Alberta would turn into Provincial Highway Number 4, and eventually highway number two which would take you across the length and breadth of Alberta uh, to Dawson Creek British Columbia which is the official start mile zero of the Alaska Highway 
So Dad's gas station and the place I spent the first few years of my life were uh, sort of that road to Alaska. So Americans would come across the border with their legendary knowledge of Canada. I'm being a little sarcastic there. They would stop at his fuel station and they would come bring out these metal cans, uh, fuel cans. We call them jerry cans today. That's actually a World War II reference as well. All these surplus cans, they'd fill their, of course, their auto tanks and all of these uh, jerry cans with the fuel. And Dad would happily take their money and uh, fill them up and uh, whatever they needed as far as oil and tires and, that, and such because his uh, garage was a full service uh, repair and service station. After the money was in the till, they'd turn around and ask him, well, gee, wh where, where's the first place, in, next place in Canada we can ever get gas before we get to Alaska? And as Dad rang the till and closed the drawer, he would say, well, that would be Milk River, Alberta, and it's about seven miles down the highway. Well, Winged Victory doesn't need petrol, and we finally land at Jackpot, Alaska, the little town beside the icy sea. Well, Sir Justin did hit the jackpot, because if he was looking for the, the true jackpot in Alaska, it is very hard to find, and uh, I'm, sh I'm shocked that he got uh, good enough details from those guys at the gas station. You will find Jackpot on the east coast of the Kenai Peninsula, less a town or a village than just sort of a point, a geographic point on the map, in the island area around Seward, Alaska, which is uh, not too far south of Anchorage. So it's definitely down in the Gulf of Alaska. So whatever writer found this town was doing his homework, and it is indeed a fishing village. And I think most people, when they think of Alaska, they think uh, ice and snow and plains, but it, and truly it is a maritime state, and with probably more miles of, uh, of coast than probably anywhere on the continental United States combined. Now, as I know from spending my life in small towns, when you come to little places like Jackpot, you're going to find your little usual bunch of uh, coffee clatch of people sitting around on benches making boasts and talking about what time of the day they got up and what hockey games they watched last night. Well, these boys in here, they're fishermen, and so they're going to talk about uh, their fishing catch. And Billy Bates he is probably one of the town, local town boasters. Just think of a little bit of a younger, more active Wilfred Brimley. Well, he's been challenged, and he's been challenged to go out and find a whale. And this is just about when Sir Justin lands. And Justin needs a guide in this area. Let's face it, even Sir Justin is going to get lost in these islands. Uh, of Alaska. It, it's, if you ever spend a lot of time looking at a National Geographic map of the area, boy, it's just dotted with all sorts of coves and uh, bays and lots of jagged little coastlines. And in the process, though, Justin tells Bates, you know what, you've made a bet, you must honor it. Because a night of the round table is not going to help somebody that's not going to... Uh, going to Welsh on his bets. Meanwhile, Genghis, who has a hybrid group of his Mongol raiders and what it looks like to be a few Chicago gangsters, one even carrying a violin case, uh, happens to uh, upon uh, the docks where a several boxes, yes, they're in boxes, <laughs> of platinum have been stored and are guarded, what I assume to be probably a couple of... Uh, U.S. Coast Guard officers. I love the fact that they're wearing muskrat hats. Uh, now they get Tommy Gunn down by the Chicago gangsters who, who are straight out of a George Raft film. They take their platinum into what appears to be a whale boat and then they're headed off for an iceberg it's where they can probably lay low in behind and uh, until dark, until they can uh, presumably make connection with a larger ship. And along comes Justin and Billy Bates to the rescue, but they're not there in time to 
see them make off with the goods. So Justin and Winged Victory uh, set, sight, set light on an iceberg, uh, trying to see if they can see what uh, where this whale boat is gone. Justin is attacked by a polar bear um, and falls into a crevasse. So the bear at least doesn't get a sword. But meanwhile, the con whale boat has gotten into, uh, has, has met up with their rendezvous ship uh, inside of a cavernous area around the iceberg. Sir Justin makes quick light of uh, the gangster's guns, but then gets brought up by uh, one of Khan's Tartar warriors. So we, we're setting up for a good Donnybrook of a sword fight, but remember, Sir Justin's got that enchanted sword from Merlin, and he cuts right through the, t the Tartar warrior's cutlass. But while he is occupied scuffling with the Tartars, uh, the Chicago gangsters manage to grab up behind him, and at Genji's orders, they throw him into the icy drink. This is, seems to be a one of Sir Justin's uh, trademark death traps. You just throw him into the water and ho hope the, uh, the armor takes him down. But remember, that gold armor has a bit of an enchantment, and Merlin has changed the physical properties, so it's not quite as heavy as actual gold or chainmail would be. Thanks to comics and magic. But while Sir Justin is is uh, grabbing his last gasps and using his sword to try to uh, python himself up uh, off the iceberg out of the water, Billy Bates has gotten a bit distracted, and he saw his whale. Arr, there be whales here. Finally, Justin gets out, uh, gets back on to victory, and he and Bates are reunited, and... Justin dismounts onto the whale in order to try to intercept the uh, the Genji's boat. Now, unfortunately, it seems that Justin has managed this by piercing the top of the hide of the whale and with his lance. Uh, but that causes the whale to, uh, to get a little fierce. And he knocks the boat over, and uh, Genji's and the gangsters go into the drink. And uh, Justin gets back onto Shining Knight and uses the lance to pull up Genji's con by the back of his cloak. So he rescues his, uh, his enemy. Good of you, Sir Justin. Meanwhile, the gangsters, uh, who are cold and wet, are, get all helpful, and they transfer the platinum into Billy Bates's boat. And then Justin and Bates leave the gangsters adrift in the boat along with their with their platinum and Billy gets on the whale and which Justin is going to tow into town. As I said, no whales were killed in the uh, in the execution of this comic book. However, this whale probably would have died in real life. Now remember, these are fishermen, these are men of the water. Uh, we're long ways away from the whale bands of the 1970s and Greenpeace and all of that, so I guess this whale will probably go for slaughter, probably killed for blubber to feed uh, Alaskan natives, and sadly, for oil that will uh, be used to lubricate uh, ship engines and other things. We won't see wholesale bans on whale hunting probably until 1982. By the way, I've been on ships in, in coastal waters off of Hawaii and uh, I've tried hard to look for whales and we've been in those areas. We've seen some splashes here and there but I've never ever been able to get, actually see one close up. I, I hope to someday. Hopefully in Alaska. Now, Justin is turning the gangsters and Genghis Khan and his Mongols over to a lawman on the docks at Jackpot. And this is most likely either a sheriff of the Kenai Peninsula borough of Alaska or a deputy U.S. marshal. Uh, not a lot of law enforcement that you will see in this area. Uh, 
normally at this point in time in the fo in uh, 1942 of course Alaska is under martial law uh, because the state has or the territory rather has been attacked by the Japanese and there are actual islands in the Aleutians that at this point in time are being held by the Japanese and they're going to be liberated but none of the creators of this comic would have known about that at the time that uh, they were putting this together this as I said this earlier this uh, comic was published June 17th and those attacks happened shortly after the Battle of Midway and I believe the uh, first attack on Dutch Harbor Alaska happened in June 3rd of 1942 so it was a current event as kids were reading this and uh, it wasn't widely publicized at the time um, the US government just um, was didn't really want to make a lot of people aware that uh, territorial soil had been infringed by the enemy. But the Alaska will, law will not be taking Genghis Khan and his Mongols into custody. He'll have to be satisfied with these Chicago gangsters because Genghis Khan uses his uh, uses Dr. Doomy's device to be sent back to his own time in the 12th century AD which Genghis Khan hears now um, through his uh, amazing radios and projectors which uh, seem to be able to see into the time stream not happy is he so he's going to uh, hope for better results with Attila the Hun in the Black Hills of Dakota and we'll be seeing that in episode 3.5 that will be coming to you in a few days